Well, there's a little tricky moment now. It's so good. To, by the way, just thank you for coming here and not going to hear Jared Schmarad Cooper. I mean, who needs to go and hear him? You've come to hear me, so thank you. You know, there was a moment when I thought, <laughs> no, seriously. Delighted to have you here in the gym. There is a little bit of an acoustic problem here in that Martin, my fellow elder, standing over there in the black, tells me that there is a bit of reverb. So therefore, there is a challenge for any speaker that if, you, if I speak too quickly, one sentence will bump into another and you'll never hear anything I say. So, pro prob probably not... So I, I'll have to speak more slowly, but please don't go to sleep, all right? Just because I'm speaking slowly to you. And the other thing to be aware of as well is keep your coats close to you because you may think it's warm in this gym. You're shocked and surprised that the sports hall is so warm. It's not like this. So if you've left your coat in the other room, you really probably do need to go and get it. And we've probably got, um, Connor, the uh, caretaker, tells me we've got about 45 minutes before you start to feel you're in the freezer. Okay, so, so, <laughs> so I'm gonna probably speak probably for about 30 minutes, so we should be cool, okay? If you're a, a visitor as well, welcome to a strange Sunday. Can we just put your hand up if you're a visitor? I know all his mum's here, and another visitor. Come on, great, excellent. So, welcome to King's Church Eastbourne, and thank you for coming to here. What we're going to do, my name is Clive, I'm one of the elders here on team, and we're going to persevere with our series in Abraham about faith. Just quick sound check. Am I giving little tiny moments between sentences? Is this, is this all good? Thank you, wonderful. So we're in Genesis chapter 20. You're gonna need your Bibles. Nothing is magically going to appear on a screen. There are no slides, okay? So you've now got to go back to the antediluvian, that's a posh word, in the days when there were no slides. You've got, to, you've got to cope. You've been pampered, but now you've got to cope with reading your Bible or your phone. Displeasure at phone. Yeah. WhatsApp will come up during my preach and then you won't concentrate. So in Genesis 20, and it's the story of Abraham and Abimelech, and Abimelech is king of Gerar, which is down in south-central Israel. And this is Philistine country near Gaza, which is obviously a place uh, very much on people's minds and hearts at the moment. So Abimelech is not uh, a believer in Yahweh. He is uh, one of the, the kings there in the Holy Land. And uh, he meets Abraham. Now, We've been following right through from the beginning, from round about a, uh, chapter 12 of Genesis, where God gives promises to Abraham. And Abraham is what Lex Loisides, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, described as a flawed father of faith. Flawed, in other words, not perfect. A not perfect father of faith, but nevertheless, father of our faith. And he is the father of uh, the Islamic faith and the Christian faith and the Jewish faith. Abraham is a, an extremely important person. And from Abraham, in his genealogy, will come the saviour of the world, Jesus. But God works with rough, raw material. And we're going to find out a bit more about his, his uh, foibles, his mistakes, his flawedness today. So, I'm going to, I thought I'd choose the, the, the translation that maybe most people will use 
which is the NIV. Just put your hands up if you're about to read it in the NIV with me. Oh dear. Put your hands up if you're going to read it in the ESV. Oh dear, I should have used the ESV. <laughs> okay, you ready? So, Lord, please illuminate your scriptures now. Lord, talk to us out of a man's life who was not perfect. So all of us can relax and we know we're in good company. We haven't got it all sorted. We're half-made people. There's a whole load of scaffolding all around us. Thank you for examples from Scripture. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the Bible is so honest. Amazing honest. That's one of the authentic marks of Scripture. It's honesty. If it wanted to kind of present a better front, it wouldn't have these sort of stories in it. Okay, should we read it? Here we go. Amen. Now, Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. What? <laughs> Sorry. He's done it again. He's lied. She's kind of sort of technically his sister, as he will explain. Abraham, we thought you'd learned that lesson. Stop lying. I'll move on. She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, I love this, you're as good as dead. <laughs> I hope none of you have had dreams where you've heard that from God, okay? Because that's quite a thing for God to say. Because the woman that you've taken, she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now, return the, wife, the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you've brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You've done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? <laughs> Here he goes again. Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place. He really knows how to compliment people, doesn't he? He's staying there in that part of the world. And they will surely, they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Abraham, pal, it's a little bit selfish what you're saying here. You can show your love to me, Sarah, and say everywhere we go, say of me, he's my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you, live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offence against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. And then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, 
his wife and his slave girls so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Okay, so my goodness, what an extraordinary story. Failure, lies, and here we have a man who should have known better. He learnt, we thought, his lesson earlier in other chapters, but here he is again in the heat of the moment, letting fear and unbelief get the better of him. Lies, failure. Let's just talk a little bit about failure for the moment, because this chapter, I can go in all sorts of directions with this, but what I really want to talk about today, I suppose, is unbelief in the goodness of God, which causes fear and causes you often to lie because you are afraid. Abraham lies because he's afraid. And failure is a very difficult thing, very painful thing to cope with. So if you, if you are harboring something that you're not proud of, this, this morning is for you. We all do from time to time. I tell you, come on, shall I wash my dirty linen in public? For the first time in my 45 year driving history, guess what happened to me? Okay, I had a clean license until the summer. Okay, I'm going down a hill into Dartmouth. I'm not, I'm just a few miles an hour over 30 miles an hour. And guess what? Devon and Cornwall Constabulary found me. Okay, so I was going down a hill. It's a completely empty road. I'm just pottering down the hill. There was a little yellow box. And then for the first time in my life, I get snapped by the camera. I'm thinking, drat. Do you know what? In my pride and my arrogance, I thought I'd get right through my life without a speeding ticket. And then I go on speed awareness course. I won't ask you to put your hands up if you've been on a speed awareness course. I won't ask you how many points you have on your license, but because I paid 90 pounds and went on a speed awareness course, my license is clean for the moment, okay? So I go on this speed awareness course, it's Zoom, don't smile at me and nod because I'll know you've been on one, okay? So, so I go on this and then all of human life is there. There's the chippy from Dagenham. Look, mate, I was in a van. I had to get to my job, all right? Look, come on, you know, fair do, mate. You know, you've, you've nicked me, but... And then you get a very a lovely... Um, how can I, I can only say the way I thought she was. She was upper middle class. She was also from London. She was wringing her hands. I'm so sorry. I feel so bad about this. Lady, don't, don't, you know, just, just keep your composure. So you get, you get the full range of, you know, oh, get it over with, you know. And then you get people who are saying, I'm so sorry. I feel such a failure. So <laughs> I'd love to ask more questions around the room at this point, but I won't. Oh. Let's, let's just think about the difference between success and failure, because I'm willing to bet there are people who have got a cloud over themselves this morning. You've got a cloud of failure, and God wants to just come and remove that, because he wants to teach you that the, failure, the feelings of failure have come through a misunderstanding of who he is in his great love, but also a misunderstanding that you're not meant to live in fear. And if you are finding yourself not speaking the truth, and, and dissembling, hiding, is probably because you're living in fear and failure. Did you know this, that Thomas Edison, the man who invented the light bulb, has got a great quote on failure. He said this, I didn't fail, I just found 2,000 ways not to make a light bulb. I only needed to find one to make it work. And he did. So he, they said to him, man, you're a failure. Thousands of light bulb experiments aren't working. And he just kept going. 
Churchill, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that counts. And some of you need to press through in courage when you think that, man, it's, it's all falling apart around me. No, it's not. You're, you get in front of God and we cry to him together. He's with you in your distress. Um, Einstein, I will say it in a German accent, so I'm from Germany here, right? Failure is success in progress. So that's a different way of looking at it. And so when Abraham gives this blatant life, uh, lie, he's basically failed again. And just like that, the thing that I find so shocking in his story is how quickly he reverts, that knee-jerk reaction going straight back into unbelief, that God can't look after him. And it, I think that's shocking. I don't know if you feel that, but it's just so stark. It's just so extraordinary. Look, man, did you learn nothing? And yet it's so human. When we're in fear, we revert to self-preservation, don't we? Are you doing that this morning? Are you in self-preservation mode or God-preservation mode? These, these beautiful stories teach us so much. And I think that we need to go deeper than just fear and self-preservation. We need to go right back to the Garden of Eden. Because, do you know, what? if I asked you what's the biggest sin that the Bible talks about, I'm willing to bet that a lot of you will say it's pride. So in pride, pride of man stinks. The arrogance, I'll do it my way. But actually there is a deeper sin behind pride. And it is the one in the garden where Adam and Eve simply do not believe God. And they will go their own way and think they can do better. The deepest difficulty in the human heart is unbelief. And so that challenges us directly in our Christian lives as well about how, what am I going to do about unbelief in my life? How am I doing in my relationship with him at the moment? Am I full on saying, Lord Jesus, you are the solid ground on which I build my life? Or are you still hedging your bets with other ways of helping yourself in the Christian life? Unbelief, I think, is the number one biggest problem. And I think it shows itself in Abraham's uh, story here. And so when we are into uh, unbelief and into self-preservation, we, we do start to do what Abraham did. And, I did. and I'm thinking about the word lies, because even with the word lie, we don't like it. So if I said to you, liar, you'd say, no, I just... Uh, there's a certain ex-prime minister who said once, no, I didn't lie, I sandpapered the truth. Do you remember who said that? I, I'm not, pastors are never political, so I won't tell you who that was, but he sandpapered the truth. It's, uh, come on, man. Uh, so you look at the way in which we describe lies, and we, we call them things like porky pies, little white lies, and there's a continuum, and they eventually end up with the word whopper. <laughs> so... We, we, we preserve ourselves and we, we say to ourselves, I will not self-disclose because you might not think uh, better of me. If I, if I keep back what is true, I won't look good to others. Uh, I'll have a fear of being found out by you. Um, and then I end up in basically a web of lies, as Abraham did. And you know that a spider's web is sticky and the web of lies means that you need another lie to cover up the lie that you did before. And then it goes on and on until the point where you've forgotten who you lied to. And then you realise, man, I'm going to have to come clean here. 
because uh, um, someone's going to put a, a polygraph attached to me, a lie detector, because they're not sure I'm telling the, story, uh, the right story. And this is not to minimise the pain of living like this. Let me give you an example of that. In this, in this very building, about uh, 12, 13 years ago, we had a very well-known speaker come called Jonathan Aitken. He was an MP, you may, may know that name. Jonathan Aitken was a hot-shot conservative MP, tipped to be the successor to Margaret Thatcher. And he became the Chief Secretary to the Treasury and would make announcements in, uh, in Parliament, and therefore his word would have to be uh, gospel truth. And he found himself in a tight corner. We invited him as King's Church to come and be a guest speaker, and the place was packed and I, I actually had the job way back in 2004 or five to look after him before he went up on the main stage. And Jonathan Aitken, you could perceive of him as being quite a privileged guy, upper middle class, married to kind of aristocracy. Um, I think he went to Eton. He was, you know, he was posh. But the Jonathan Aitken that I met after he committed perjury in the House of, Cha House of Commons chamber was a different man. He found Christ through lying and being found out. I don't know if you know the story of Jonathan Aitken, and he's going strong still, and he's got some wonderful prison work that he's doing. And uh, whilst I was looking after him um, before he went on stage, he was getting some horrible things said to him, and I had to kind of bring him away from people who were saying, oh, you're the that went to Belmarsh prison, aren't you? And he was so full of grace. The man's heart was amazingly changed. I have here the book that he wrote. This is a picture of him coming out of Belmarsh Prison with a black plastic sack with his belongings in it. And it's called Psalms for People Under Pressure. And he was under serious pressure to lie because he had done uh, illegal things about money. And he lied to the House of Commons and eventually got found out. And he said this, this is uh, commenting on one of the Psalms, he said this, um, I was going to be sentenced to a term of imprisonment which threw me into a state of clinical depression coupled with physical illness. I had a mini stroke that burst most of the blood vessels in my left eye, severely impairing my sight. And all these troubles were symptoms of a deeper feeling of guilt, like the Psalmist's. My spiritual reactions were similar to his too. Realising my utter helplessness as I went to prison and my total guilt, all I could do was pray in faith for God's mercy and forgiveness. Again, like the psalmist, I was granted it. That answer to prayer changed nothing in the unpleasant circumstances I had to face, but it changed everything about the way I faced them. Fear and trembling were gradually replaced by a peaceful acceptance of God's will and a prayerful trust that he would be with me on my prison journey. He was. This is an amazing book commenting on his best psalms read and prayed over and sweated through in the darkness of prison life. And Belmarsh is no picnic as a prison. And so what he's really saying is come to the light. Truth liberated Jonathan Aitken. And so I say to all of you who are going through a tough time at the moment, this chapter 
Abraham truly is our father of faith because if you are feeling, Clive, you're just describing me this morning, that I feel, you know, if you really knew me, you would not be my friend. Or if you knew them, the circumstances I'm in right now, you would know that, you would understand why I had to keep the truth back from family members or keep the truth back from my friends. And yet in my heart, I'm aching for liberation. I'm aching to, to say, she's my sister, you know, the equivalent of, you know, okay, hands up. You know, Abimelech, here we go. I'm trusting God if you are going to uh, uh, treat me badly or treat my wife badly. And I love the way that God helps Abraham. And this is perhaps a help to you and me as to how God will come in on your circumstances once you bring your circumstances to the light, where you talk truth, that you, you are what that acronym says. You know acronyms like... Um, um, BT, British Telecom, BT is an acronym, WYSIWYG, w, what you see is what you get, okay, what psychologists call congruence, you are on the inside what you present on the outside, you are balanced, you're the real deal, and you only get that through security, security in love, you get that through knowing that God is whatever circumstance you're going to find yourselves in, he's with you in it, He's in Belmarsh with you. And this man's life changed utterly. And he is a beautiful example of grace. But I love the way God protects Abraham. He's pretty rough on Abimelech. I feel Abimelech is the guy who shows kind of the righteous innocence and integrity of heart, which is what Abraham should have shown to Abimelech. But it took a pagan king to show him the right way. And yet Abraham is still the father of our faith. Anyone feeling a bit better? Come on, we have wonderful role models. If you feel you've failed, he's wonderful. So Abraham, God comes to Abimelech in a dream. I think that's terrifying. I mean, imagine you go to bed one night and then God appears to you in your dream and you can't wake up until God says you're going to wake up. Now, we've been hearing some amazing stories, particularly in the Islamic world of God of Jesus come appearing to people in dreams. It's amazing. But this, this dream that Abimelech gets is no comfortable dream. Imagine God saying to you in a dream, you're, good, you're as good as dead. You're a dead man. I once preached on that very title here at King's, uh, People God Killed. And all through the Bible, God is a just God and he will, he will take out anyone who's standing against the true advance of the people of God. He's, he's not a sentimental softy. He gives plenty of warning, but if we resist his warnings, he will say, well, I'm going to have to remove you from the scene if you are going to stop my course of history, bringing the Messiah to the whole world. I could talk about that later, but I won't, get, uh, I won't sidetrack. And so in verse 4, uh, Abraham realises that Abimelech has not approached his wife. And um, when Abimelech, I don't know if he talks to God in his dream or if he wakes up and starts arguing with God, but in verse 5, he says to God, Abimelech, he says, in the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, have I done this? Now, here's the thing. I think that this pagan king, Abimelech, had a bargaining chip with God, even though he wasn't a believer in Yahweh. And so I think... I think this is telling us something very profound. If you walk with innocence and integrity in your heart, your prayer life is powerful. 
that you are not afraid to come into the presence of God and say, Lord, we really need to talk. I need to choose some stuff over with you because you're not hiding from God. So it's innocence and integrity is linked to your prayer life. So you've got Abimelech well able to come back to God who says, pal, you're as good as dead. If you imagine God said that to you, would you say, okay, when? <laughs> When's it going to happen? So you are called to live in the light. Walk in the light. That's the story in chapter 20. This is the opposite of lies. This shows up Abraham. This isn't unbelief. Abimelech is walking in belief. He knows he's innocent of touching Abraham's wife. And this brings him confidence. This increases his faith. And he speaks back to God. Have you stopped speaking to God? Because you feel, you know, I'm sorry, you and I can't talk anymore. It's over. I'll sort myself out. You in prayer. Have you given up on prayer at the moment? We go through funny old times with prayer, don't we? We go through wonderful times when it's all sweet and we're praying and we're singing. And there are other times it's as if you've never prayed in your life and you come back to you and you think, I can't do it. My mind's going everywhere. I'm in a dry, barren place. And, uh, and I think you say to yourself, I'll live by my own reason. I'll live by my own logic. I look at my circumstances, I'll sort out myself. Thank you, God. I'll work out the logic of what to do next. Is that you today? You're in good company. You're in with the father of your faith. And I think, and God knew that Abraham wasn't telling the truth, but I think God keeps Abimelech from sinning. So I think that God is actually very kind to Abimelech because he frightens him because actually he wants to teach Abimelech that he is the true God. And so he's, he's pretty robust with him. And then besides being robust with Abimelech, who then comes out of this really well, because God has been kind to him and warned him, it's a loving warning. God hasn't been mean to him. Let's, let's say that, please, today. But the other thing is he's always cleaning up after Abraham. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Can I just say this? God will clean up after you. That means something to some people here today. I don't know who you are, but I know that what I've just said means something special to you. God's going to clean up after the mess that's happening at the moment in your life. He did it for Abraham. He'll do it for you. And so it goes on. Let me say this to you. What I've felt speaking to me from this chapter is that God sees me from heaven's perspective. He sees me in a certain way, and it's not the way I see myself. He sees Abimelech's innocence. He sees your heart. He sees who you want to be. He sees the disciples asleep in Gethsemane. He still says, before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, at least your spirit's willing, even though you've fallen asleep, your flesh is weak. Even there, he praises the disciples because their spirit is willing. Isn't he wonderful, God? He's looking for faith. He's looking to see your heart turned towards him, even when you feel you've messed up. And so I feel we need to come directly against fear and unbelief today. And we want to be strong on this now. So forgive me for being quite strong with you now, because this is the number one sin, unbelief. So we're going to be tough on it today, okay? You're going to get a bit roughed up now, okay? In the nicest possible way. Nobody's smiling at me, right? Okay, so... 
You are who he says you are, not who you say you are. So he has plans for your future. You know that beautiful promise in Jeremiah 29? I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. That's the God with whom we have to do. It's not a mess. There is a future for each one of us. So I look at my failures, and I have many myself, and I say to God, I am who you say I am, not a failure. So do I believe what God believes about me? Because God's viewpoint is so much better than mine. So what's your story at the moment? What's the chapter that you don't like at the moment that you're stuck in? You're stuck in a chapter. How do I get out of this chapter without repeating it? You might be saying to yourself today. Well, everything that God takes us through comes, may I say this kindly but truthfully, it comes with a little test. Because he's a good God, because he wants you to change from one degree of glory to another. He's bent on changing you to become the image of his beautiful grown-up son, Jesus. And so, <laughs> everything he does comes with a test. So here's the wonderful thing. You can't fail the test that you're going through. I don't hear anyone saying, oh, thank goodness for that, because you just get to take it again and again and again until you've passed it. Isn't that good of God? Isn't he kind? I don't see many people smiling at this point. He wants you to come to that deep-seated conviction that there is so much more blessing to come once you've passed the test that you're going through at the moment. And let's face it, we're all going through some sort of a test. Amen? Ah, oh, you spoke to me. It's a strange place, the gym, and it is getting cooler, you've noticed. No one's put their coat on yet, which is a good sign. But <laughs> let me say this, that unbelief is so destructive. It's like yeast in a dough. You know, I, I, I've been saying to my fellow elders recently, you know, we need to just come back to our prayer meeting saying to the whole church, if you're going to come to the prayer time together, you, you don't bother coming unless you're coming with faith. You're going to come to pray with faith. You're going to expect God to hear your prayers because this is a wartime mindset. So Abraham was in a wartime mindset, but he didn't realise at the time he had to be on his guard all the time, trusting in God. This, for you and me, is not a peacetime mindset we're in. In peacetime, you get a shock if you're walking through Eastbourne High Street and war had been declared and you didn't realise it and there's suddenly bombs going off around you and bullets whistling around you, you're in deep shock. You're thinking, man, what's happened here? What's happening? What? I don't understand it. That's because you've got a peacetime mentality. You weren't ready. You were stunned. And what the enemy wants to do is to shock you and surprise you and keep you, oh, I better live off my wits. If you're in a wartime mentality, which we should all be in, because never has the enemy not declared war on us. You are to be battle ready, not surprised by the enemy, not surprised by the tests that you're going through, and you put your armour on because it's time to fight. It's always time to fight. And maybe some of us have become a bit bored with church, a bit cynical, a bit complacent. Well, 
we've been rethinking the way we pray at the moment in Kings and we're now praying with much more faith and expectation because we're dealing with unbelief. We're dealing believe, with that, that gap between our prayers and our faith. But that, well, I'm also talking to you about your own personal lives this morning, that gap between your circumstances and your faith. And so I ask you this, and I'm going to stop in just a few minutes now, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll work out which exits to go from. I hope this message is coming home to you, that if unbelief has got into your heart, you need to confess it. You need to take steps with this because the enemy will pick you off more easily if you try and live in your own strength or if you kind of give up on God and go a bit quiet on him. This is wartime mindset all the time for each one of us. So living by unbelief, living by what seems reasonable to you at the time. So identify how unbelief got into your heart, probably through fear, probably through doubt probably through difficult circumstances, but God says, come to me, come back to me. Don't believe your feelings necessarily. And sometimes we need to say strong things to each other, not just a there, there, if someone's wavering. Many of you are tired because it's a long race. I've been a Christian 15 years. It's a long race. And some of you are feeling, man, this is a long race for me and I'm feeling tired. And I, you know, I've been a Christian. I've been working at this for a very long time. And yet at the same time, there's so much more that lies ahead. And I, for one, hope you catch my heart. I, there's so much more I want to see God do in our church and beyond and into the borough and beyond. And therefore, I'm not going to meet my circumstances with unbelief. And so I'm going to say to Abraham, like Abimelech, Abraham, what are you doing? Living by unbelief, living by fear. This is not honouring to your life of faith. This is not honouring to a man of faith who believed God's promises earlier. And yet for all that, God still comes to the rescue. He doesn't take back his promises. And he doesn't take back his promises to you either. Let me end on this. This is a, a wonderful quote from Theodore Roosevelt, the US president back in 1910 and he gave a speech which became a very famous speech called the speech at the Sorbonne University in Paris and it's called the man in the arena or the woman in the arena and he's talking about the difference between success and failure and after I've read this I'm going to pray over us and uh, I'll hang around here afterwards if anyone wants prayer uh, or I'll tell you what we'll do after this. But listen to this brilliant quote about success and failure because you've got to deal with this. You've got to face failure. You've got to face success, which is fleeting. And it's not the true measure of who you are anyway, success, because God looks at your heart. Success is calm, failures come. Listen to the US president giving his speech. He says this, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. It's not the man who says that the doer of the deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, 
who makes mistakes but comes short again and again, but there is no effort without mistakes and shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Not a cracking quote. Let me pray. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for Abraham, our father. Thank you that you show him up, warts and all. Thank you that we can take huge encouragement from his failure. Thank you, Lord, that you not only clear up after him, you rescue him, you put him back on his feet, and he becomes the father of a great nation. Thank you for the way in which Genesis ends. Thank you for achieving your purposes, Lord, through frail human flesh. And I pray now for my dear brothers and sisters that they will, if they need to, to come back to robust faith that you've got it covered, that you are saying to each one of them, I've got this in your life. I'm on it. I've got this. Fear not. Do not hide. Do not lie. Be yourself. Stand strong. I'm with you. I am behind you, around you, above you, below you. You cannot fail as I walk with you hand in hand. Father, put this deep into our hearts today. And I pray that if there's anyone who needs a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit, you will give them that this morning. So thank you, Lord, for these beautiful stories. We thank you for your great, great faithfulness that you just simply will not give up on us. And it's wonderful. And we rejoice in you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right. Okay. So let me explain to you what's happening.